Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Keep the fire hot. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to a very festive special episode of Verbal Diorama, episode 131, Krampus. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, hey Santa, aren't you a little busy to be appearing on a podcast at this time of year? No, no, no. I'm always listening to this podcast. It tells me the history and legacy of movies I know and movies I don't. And to be honest, we don't get many movies in the North Pole. In fact, I've only seen two this year. Krampus and Klaus. I enjoyed them both. Well, Merry Christmas, Santa. To what do we have the pleasure of this appearance? Well, Em, it looks like some of your listeners are on my naughty list. None of them have done anything really bad, but they could have been a bit better this year. Perhaps an episode on my evil counterpart, Krampus. We'll get them on the straight and narrow. No problem, Santa. Consider it done. Oh, and which list am I on? You'll find out on Christmas morning. Jess is on the nice list, though. Well, that suggests I'm not, but... Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, Em. Merry Christmas, Verbal Diorama listeners. It's Diorama, Santa. Anyway, maybe we might have been a little bit naughty this year. Clearly, I am not one to judge. But this episode will only show your podcast app. If you are on Santa's naughty list, and who better to teach you a lesson if you've been a little bit naughty than Krampus. But before we get into Krampus, I just wanted to say Merry Christmas, a huge hi and welcome to you all, whether you are a returning listener or a brand new listener to this podcast. No matter how you're here, I'm so glad that you are here for this special Christmas episode. Those on the nice list get an episode on Klaus. If you've got both episodes, well, You've probably been a little bit of both, and that's okay. Just to add as well, this is technically a Nanorama episode. These episodes are slightly shorter, tend to focus on tidbits of information, interesting stories, 
But instead of normal manoramas, I say normal, there's only three of them, but they tend to consist of two movies together. I'm doing these as their own individual episodes. And we're going to be starting with Krampus. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle bells. Merry Christmas. Looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. This is delicious, honey. A little dry. Well, mine's delicious. Mine's dry. Do you want to trade? It's the It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. With those holiday greetings and How are we gonna survive Christmas with 12 people stuck in a house with no heat and no electricity? Or food. There's plenty of leftovers, Howard. Beer it is. That's the weirdest thing. There's no cars, no people. How long can this keep up? We heard something on the roof. What the hell is this? St. Nicholas is not coming this year. Instead, a much darker ancient spirit. Those are hooves. Elk or a goat? What kind of goat walks on its hind legs? His name is Krampus. He and his helpers did not come to give, but to take. Hold on to each other. He is the shadow of Saint Nicholas. When his dysfunctional family clashes over the holidays, young Max gets disillusioned and turns his back on Christmas. This lack of festive spirit unleashes the wrath of Krampus, a demonic force of ancient evil intent on punishing non-believers. All hell breaks loose as beloved holiday icons take on a monstrous life of their own, laying siege to the fractured family's home and forcing them to fight for one another if they hope to survive. The cast of Krampus, we have Adam Scott as Tom Engel, Tony Collette as Sarah Engel, MJ Anthony as Max Engel, David Kochner as Howard, Alison Tolman as Linda, Conchalta Ferrell as Aunt Dorothy, Stefania Levy Owen as Beth Engel, Krista Stadler as Omi, Lolo Owen as Stevie, Queenie Samuel as Jordan, Maverick Flack as Howie Jr., Sage Hunfield as Chrissy. Luke Hawker as Krampus, Gideon Emery as the voice of Krampus, and Brett Beatty as the clown. Krampus was written by Todd Casey, Michael Doherty, and Zach Shields. It was directed by Michael Doherty, and it's based on Krampus from Austro-Bavarian folklore. And if you think of anything inherently good, 
there's always an evil alternative. You think of angels and you'll always have devils. You think of heaven, you have hell. God, whichever you choose to believe in, if you choose to believe, will almost always have an alternative. Naughty will always be partnered with noise, as I'm doing with these episodes. Saints will always have sinners. And St. Nicholas specifically has his own mirror image, Krampus. The name comes from the German word Krampen, meaning claw. In recent years, Krampus has become a cultural icon, the anti-Santa Claus. For years, we've told children they have to be good or else Santa won't deliver presents. But in parts of Europe, specifically Austria and parts of Germany, St. Nicholas Day or the Feast of St. Nicholas on the 6th of December is a Christian festival celebrating St. Nicholas as a bringer of gifts and rewarding good children. But if a child was bad, Krampus would visit the preceding night, Krampusnacht, giving out coal and punishing the bad children. He had the horns and hooves of a goat, covered in dark fur with fangs and a long pointed tongue. His body would be swathed in chains, a sound similar to jingling bells, but not quite that similar. Naughty children would be beaten and sometimes children would be kidnapped, eaten or transported to hell. So basically you wanted to avoid the wrath of Krampus at all costs. There are many interpretations of the Krampus legend, including an unsubstantiated version that he was the child of hell, the daughter of the Norse god Loki, which would be a nice little tie into the previous episodes on Thor. However, the dog who plays Rosie in this movie is actually called Thor, so I'm going to take that instead. St. Nicholas became popular in Germany in the 11th century, and Krampus's origins likely stem from pagan celebrations of the winter solstice, as literally the winter devil. And obviously the Catholic Church wasn't too happy that Krampus was becoming a popular antithesis to St. Nicholas. Even Nazi Germany tried to concentrate on pre-Christian aspects of Christmas and rebrand the Jewish origins of Jesus Christ. But none of that extended to Krampus. They just didn't like him either. Turns out a huge hairy cloven hoof devil isn't Aryan enough. But of course, it wasn't enough to have Krampus as a myth. In Germany and Austria in the 1890s, Krampus Karten, holiday cards reminding me that Krampus was always watching, and showing him beating children, leading them away in chains, or stuffing one into his bag, were very popular. Early 20th century Krampus Carter depicted Krampus as a lover of women, as well as female versions wearing lingerie and whipping men. An early version of monster porn, perhaps. Krampus Lauf, literally a Krampus run, would have grown men dressing as Krampus, scaring children on the street, and offering Krampus schnapps. Both Krampus Nacht and Krampus Lauf traditions carry on to this day and, like many traditions, have crossed the ocean into American culture. It was art director and graphic designer Monty Beecham who published a book of Krampus cards in 2004 called Krampus, the Devil of Christmas, which is available on Amazon if you're interested for £13. Definitely not going to arrive before Christmas though. Beecham also helped organise an art show for the cards. It's not 100% certain that he's responsible for introducing the creature to the US, as arguably German, Austrian or Eastern European families immigrating to the country would also bring their traditions with them. But it seems he popularised the Krampus Karten tradition and, well, everyone likes an anti-hero. Of course, the Krampus traditions, like all Christmas traditions, have become highly commercialised in recent years, something this movie nods to with the scenes at the department store at the start because consumerism is bad, obviously, with many traditionalists fearing that Krampus has lost his edge. And maybe he doesn't beat small children with sticks anymore, but he still strikes fear into the public. People still want to be scared. That's why horror movies are still so appealing. And Krampus is a popular character. And he's also public domain too. 
And to prove it, this is not the only time Krampus has featured in a movie. These movies are all direct-to-video offerings, by the way. The same year as this movie came out, 2015, there were two other Krampus films, Krampus the Reckoning and A Christmas Horror Story. In 2013, so two years prior, Krampus the Christmas Devil, which had a sequel in 2016 called Krampus the Devil Returns. Also in 2016, there was Krampus Unleashed. 2017, Mother Krampus. 2018, Mother Krampus 2 and Krampus Origins with two further Krampus-based movies, Anti-Claws from Kevin Smith and Happy Krampus from the Jim Henson Company, which, to be honest, I love the Jim Henson Company, so Happy Krampus sounds pretty amazing. There's also a movie called Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, which technically isn't about Krampus, but it is about the source of the Santa Claus myth not being as benevolent as you might think. I've actually seen Rare Exports and it's very good. And if you're not opposed to the one-inch tall barrier of subtitles, it is a Finnish film, by the way. I think it's available on Amazon Proi here in the UK. Actually, well worth a watch. Back to Krampus, though, because Michael Doherty, who wrote and directed 2007's Trick or Treat, which is obviously a Halloween horror movie, was obsessed with Halloween and spooky traditions as a kid. The idea of Christmas also being a pagan tradition steeped in the macabre and mystical fascinated him and he found out about the tradition of Krampus and how Europe still embraced the edgier and darker side to this very traditional Christian holiday, as well as the association to the winter solstice, a time when it's traditionally darker, colder and honestly a bit bleaker. To see Krampus as more of a Christmas boogeyman than a really fearsome monster. He, along with co-writers Todd Casey and Zach Shields, started writing Krampus in 2011 and it was the idea of the over-commercialization of Thanksgiving and Christmas, along with the dysfunctional families that always seemed to come to a head over the festive period, that formed the backbone of why this Krampus decides to come to town. He's not just punishing children for being bad. He's punishing us all for our excess, our consumerism, and our unwillingness to believe. They wanted to evoke the spirit of gremlins to have the nastiest parts of humanity represented, and Gremlins, by the way, was last year's Christmas episode. That's episode 74, and it's brilliant. I'm a huge fan of that episode. I love all the episodes that I do, but I have a particular affinity to Gremlins. And just like Gremlins, Krampus uses mostly practical creature effects too, which long-time listeners of this podcast will know is one of the verbal diorama staples. These are the things that I love and I love talking about. Obviously, not everything is practical. And some things couldn't have been practical, such as the gingerbread men, it was Weta Workshop and Weta Digital who combined forces on the creature work for Krampus. And Weta, of course, is a New Zealand-based company. They also did The Frighteners, that's episode 103. And so you might be surprised to find out that Krampus was actually filmed completely in Wellington, New Zealand, mostly on sound stages at Stone Street Studios. In fact, the only scene that wasn't was the opening scene set in the department store. This was shot on location in a real store. Everything else was shot on sound stages. The whole neighbourhood was digitally created, which means there were loads of 80s movie Easter eggs. The Amateurville Horror House is next door to the Engel House. The Myers House from Halloween is there, as is Ferris Bueller's house. And the infamous Bates Motel is also in one of Krampus's snow globes, as well as Michael Doherty's own home. It was important to the production to have this tangible creature work at the centre stage of Krampus with puppetry, animatronics, and human suit performers, as well as additional manufactured items like Krampus's 21-foot-long sleigh, which consisted of chains and human remains, 
which is not a rhyme that I ever thought I would utter in my life. Krampus himself, the main event, was performed by Weta Workshop technician turned actor Luke Hawker, who controlled the seven-foot demon from inside the suit with leg, arm and finger extensions, seeing the world via a tiny camera embedded in a mole on Krampus's mask. The suit weighed around 40 kilograms and was supported by a metal frame in status and had to be supported with a rack so that Hawker could get into it. He would use one hand to puppeteer the left or right hand and the other to move the head. So if Krampus needed two hands to move independently of each other, another performer had to come in and that performer was Kate Venables. And so often she was also inside of the suit just simply there to move the other hand. And if you've seen videos online of Luke Hawker getting into this suit, it is incredibly cramped. So the fact that two of them managed to get in there is astonishing. The design of Krampus was intentional to make it look like he was wearing the stretched face of Santa or someone who looks like Santa. You never actually see what Krampus looks like underneath. And for all the creatures on set, whether it was Krampus himself, the, the clown, the cherub, elves or Teddy, None of the principal cast saw the creatures before the very first take they had with them. MJ Anthony was told to keep his eyes closed for his first scene with Krampus. And this is the first scene where Krampus reveals himself to Max. So the camera caught Anthony's genuine reaction to seeing the monster for the first time. Perched up, the Christmas cherub, was a traditional rod puppet with animatronics designed by Miguel Ortega and Tran Ma, which Tony Collette, again, did not see before shooting with the puppet which had the honour of biting the Tony Collette. The stabby robot is called TikTok, not affiliated with the app, although I guess many do see that app as quite demonic. The teddy bear is called Claw, and that is a hand puppet, and you'd be amazed at how many are out there to buy. Krampus merch is a real thing. You can buy Krampus baubles, and you can buy teddies with teeth. There are so many teddies with teeth. The clown was performed by Brett Beatty in suit, and the demonic face was detachable and also enhanced with CGI. And the CGI enhancements in this movie are mostly very subtle. I mean, obviously the gingerbread men are completely CG and there was nothing you could do about that. One of the things I love the most about this movie, and it's no big surprise really, considering this is a movie that has practical effects, is also the animated section of this movie. And it was animation director Dave Clayton, along with VFX supervisor Kevin Smith. No, not that Kevin Smith who chose to make Omi's flashback animated with a specific stop-motion feel to the CG animation. So this is CG animation. It's made to look like stop-motion. And they wanted it to look straight out of an Austrian animator's basement. They wanted it to have imperfections and they wanted the background characters to look like cardboard cutouts because the focus was always on the childhood story of Omi and her meeting with Krampus, who the animation team had some license to reinvent the character in silhouette version as how a six-year-old Omi would remember the creature with very little detail except those burning orange eyes. And Krampus on the surface seems like the sort of movie that I would actively dislike because I'm not a huge fan of horror and I've always said I'm not, but I really enjoy this movie. Arguably because it leans away from the more terrifying aspects of the legend of Krampus. There are no huge fangs for a start. I do not like sharp teeth on anything. But the practical puppet work is very me. Let's be honest, as is the stop-motion effect animated flashback. This movie, when I saw it for the first time last year, really surprised me how much I loved it. It's technically classed as a horror comedy. I think the comedy is very light. I don't think it's particularly funny. 
But the horror is also very light as well. And it's just got some really, really great puppet work in this movie. It's the sort of stuff that, honestly, this podcast really thrives on. So, of course, as soon as I saw it last Christmas, I knew that I wanted to do it this Christmas. Because this movie is so very me, despite not being very me at all. And Krampus was originally due to come out on the 25th of November 2015. It was held back to the 4th of December to coincide with Krampusnacht, as I mentioned above. And originally it was going to be an R-rated Christmas horror. However, Universal wouldn't agree to greenlight it until Legendary Pictures agreed to a PG-30 cut. An unrated extended version was released on DVD and Blu-ray on the 7th of December 2021 called Krampus the Naughty Cut, obviously, which runs for about four minutes longer and contains scenes trimmed originally to get that PG-13 rating, as well as new interviews with the cast and crew. And this was a rare Christmas horror movie that did well at the box office. It was made for only $15 million. It ended up making $61.5 million worldwide. The most recent Christmas horror at the time, the 2006 Black Christmas remake, had only made $16 million. But of course, nothing beats Gremlins on Christmas horror movie box office because that movie was a Christmas horror movie behemoth. The ending of Krampus, where the family and house are preserved in Krampus's workshop for all eternity, was not the only ending made for the movie. An alternate ending where Max receives the bauble stating Gruss von Krampus or greetings from Krampus and the rest of the family continue with a happy gift opening. But then his grandmother Omi gives him a knowing look. There are theories on the theatrical ending of this movie that the Engels are now doomed to forever relive Christmas morning and that this is their own personal family purgatory or that Krampus is merely watching over them. Michael Doherty has refused to confirm which theory is correct, but the tie-in comic book Krampus Shadow of St. Nicholas, which tells a new story based on the movie, would seem to confirm that the happier ending is correct. But who knows? We could all be in Krampus's snow globe workshop right now. How would we know? And you know who won't be getting a visit from Krampus? Keanu Reeves. And maybe now you've listened to this episode, you won't get a visit either. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Krampus. And a huge thank you to the actual queen of mythology, Laurel from the Midnight Myth, who I know is a huge fan of the Krampus legend and offered some assistance with the research of Krampus, as I really didn't want to get anything wrong. And when you're unsure, you go to the Queen of Mythology. Obvious plug for the Midnight Myth here because Laurel and Derek are amazing people. They're amazing podcasters. And despite Laurel, you know, she works full time. She's a mother as well. Her son isn't even one yet. She still took time out to give me a bit of assistance on Twitter DM and I can't thank her enough. So please check out the Midnight Myth. They are a fantastic podcast. They are all about mythology. So if you want to know more about actual mythology, then make sure you check them out. If you have enjoyed this episode, if you could take a moment to help Verbal Diorama grow and be noticed by others, that would be awesome. You could leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or now Spotify if you listen on Spotify. You could retweet or like posts on social media. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. I am at Verbal Diorama. Or you could just tell your friends and family about this podcast. There are 130 other episodes of this podcast out there for you to enjoy. Please feel free. That is my Christmas gift to you to enjoy those episodes. You can get in touch, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can go to verbaldiorama.com. And as always, a huge, huge thank you to the patrons of this podcast. 
If you wish to join them, it's verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. I'm so grateful to every single one of them for supporting this podcast. But mostly a huge thank you for your ears and your listenership during 2021. It's been a tough year for so many of us with lockdowns and new strains of COVID. Life has struggled to get back to normal. But I'm just so grateful that you've chosen to listen to this podcast because Verbal Diorama has had an amazing year. And it will return in 2022 with animation season. But for now, Jess and I wish you a fun, safe and brilliant holiday season and new year. Please come back. Hopefully, please do. uh, And join me at the start of January for the first movie of animation season. And that will be The Transformers, the movie from 1986. And finally, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. Bye. Move it, you know.